Hello and welcome to this morning's edition of 5 at 8. Today is Thursday, June 22nd, 2023, and I'm Mark Overman, joined by my co-host Linda Carlisle. In this episode, we'll talk about lab-grown meat being approved for sale in the U.S., Neanderthal engravings discovered in France, the Bank of England expected to raise interest rates, the search for a missing submersible vessel in the Atlantic Ocean, and the U.S. Federal Trade Commission filing a lawsuit against Amazon for deceptive practices. Story number one. According to Al Jazeera, the United States has become the second country in the world, after Singapore, to allow sales of lab-grown meat. Two companies, Upside Foods and Good Meat, have received final approval from the U.S. Department of Agriculture to sell cultivated meat, which is derived from a sample of livestock cells that are fed and grown in steel vats. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has already determined that the food is safe to eat. The companies plan to first serve their product at high-end restaurants before scaling production to reach a lower cost for grocery stores. Might just be me, but I think this whole lab-grown meat thing is pretty darn cool. I mean, the United States just became the second country to allow sales of it. What do you think, Linda? Are we looking at a major game-changer here? It's definitely a significant development, Mark. With Upside Foods and Good Meat receiving USDA approval, it paves the way for a more sustainable and humane alternative to traditional meat production. The process is quite fascinating, too, as it's somewhat similar to brewing beer and doesn't involve slaughtering animals. Yeah, I read that it's like, uh, taking cells from an animal without harming it and then growing them into actual meat. But how does this whole process impact the environment compared to regular meat production? Well, Mark, traditional meat production, particularly beef, is responsible for a significant portion of the world's deforestation and greenhouse gas emissions. Lab-grown meat has the potential to considerably reduce these environmental impacts, as it requires less land, water, and other resources. That's awesome. But, uh, what about the taste and cost? I mean, will people actually want to eat this stuff? That's a great question. As of now, lab-grown meat is still relatively expensive, and it's expected to be served initially at high-end restaurants. However, as production scales up, the cost should come down. As for the taste, it's reported to be quite similar to traditional meat, but consumer acceptance will be crucial. In fact, a recent poll found that half of U.S. adults said they're unlikely to try it. Hmm, interesting. So, do you think this could eventually replace traditional meat production, or will it just remain a niche product? It's hard to say, Mark. The future of meat consumption will likely depend on various factors, such as consumer acceptance, environmental concerns, and the ability to scale production. Lab-grown meat has the potential to become a more mainstream option, but it will take time and effort to overcome the challenges and perceptions associated with this novel food technology. Story number two. According to The Guardian, scientists have discovered the oldest known engravings made by Neanderthals in a cave in central France. The markings, called finger flutings, were created more than 57,000 years ago, before modern humans arrived in the region. The patterns, consisting of hundreds of faint stripes, dots, and wavy lines, appear on sections of the longest and most even wall of the cave in La Roche-Cotard in the Loire Valley. The cave was discovered in 1846, and excavations since 1912 have revealed the extent of the site. When I think about these engravings, it's incredible to imagine that they were created more than 57,000 years ago by Neanderthals. It really makes you wonder about the development of artistic expression throughout our history. 
Absolutely, Mark. It's fascinating to see how these early humans were already engaging in creative activities, even before modern humans arrived in the region. It shows that artistic expression is deeply rooted in our evolution. Yeah, and the fact that they're not just random marks, but structured and thought out, suggests that Neanderthals had a level of cognitive ability that we might not have given them credit for in the past. That's a great point, Mark. These findings challenge the stereotype that Neanderthals were just primitive beings without the capacity for complex thought or creativity. It's important to recognize that their artistic expression was a significant part of their culture. Definitely, and it's not just about the art itself, but what it represents. Like, these engravings could be a form of communication, or a way for them to express their emotions and experiences. It's wild to think that we're getting a glimpse into the minds of our ancient ancestors. Indeed, it's a humbling reminder of our shared human heritage. And as we uncover more evidence of ancient art from different eras and civilizations, we can better understand the development of artistic expression and its role in shaping our collective identity. You hit the nail on the head, Linda. It's amazing to see how artistic expression has evolved over time. And yet there's still this common thread that connects us all. It's like a universal language that transcends time and space. Beautifully said, Mark. Art is truly a testament to our shared humanity, and these Neanderthal engravings serve as an important reminder of our deep-rooted connection to the past and to each other. Story number three. The Bank of England is expected to raise interest rates for the 13th consecutive time in an attempt to tackle rising prices, as reported by the BBC. Inflation remained at 8.7% in May making it more likely for the bank to announce an increase in its benchmark rate from 4.5%. Interest rates remain its primary tool to lower inflation, despite debate over its effectiveness. Analysts say an increase to 4.75% is most likely, but a bigger increase to 5% remains a possibility. This would mean further pain for some homeowners, but it could benefit savers. The official long-term target set for the bank is 2%. Should I be surprised that the Bank of England is raising interest rates for the 13th time in a row? Not really. They're trying to tackle inflation, which has been stuck at 8.7%. But I can't help but wonder if this is the most effective way to deal with the issue, especially considering the impact it has on homeowners and borrowers. I understand your concern, Mark. Raising interest rates is a common tool to combat inflation, but it does come with some negative consequences for certain groups of people. Homeowners with tracker and variable rate mortgages, for example, will see their monthly payments go up, which can be quite a burden. Exactly, Linda. And it's not just homeowners who are affected. Borrowers in general will find it more expensive to take out loans, which could potentially slow down economic growth. On the other hand, savers might benefit from higher interest rates, but that's only if banks and building societies pass on the full increase to them. That's a valid point, Mark. It's important to consider the overall economic impact of these consecutive rate hikes. While the intention is to lower inflation, we must also consider the potential repercussions on economic growth and the financial well-being of individuals. It's a delicate balancing act. You're right, Linda. And we can't ignore the fact that the UK stands out from other countries like the US and Germany, where inflation is actually falling. It makes me wonder if there are alternative strategies that could be more effective in tackling inflation without causing so much pain for homeowners and borrowers. It's certainly worth exploring other options, Mark. In the meantime, 
it's crucial for the government and financial institutions to consider potential mitigation strategies for those adversely affected by these rate hikes, such as offering mortgage relief or implementing policies that support economic growth and job creation. Story number four. In a report from Al Jazeera, search and rescue teams are focusing their efforts on an area where undersea noises have been detected in the search for a submersible vessel which went missing in the northern Atlantic Ocean. The vessel, named Titan, was exploring the wreckage of the Titanic when contact was lost with the ship monitoring it on Sunday. The U.S. Coast Guard official leading the search said there was still hope of rescuing the five people on board, who include the founder and CEO of the U.S.-based company Ocean Gate Expeditions. The search is being led by the U.S. and Canada, but has attracted international assistance. Good morning, Linda. It's pretty unsettling to hear about the missing submersible vessel exploring the Titanic wreckage. It really highlights the risks and challenges associated with deep-sea exploration, doesn't it? Absolutely, Mark. The ocean is a vast and often inhospitable environment, and even with advanced technology, there's still so much we don't know about it. This incident is a sobering reminder of the inherent dangers that come with venturing into the deep sea. Yeah, it's definitely a complex situation. I'm curious, though, how do search and rescue missions like this one work in such a vast area, especially considering the multinational effort involved? Well, Mark, these missions are indeed quite complicated. In this case, the U.S. and Canada are leading the search, but there's also assistance from the U.K. and France. Coordination between multiple agencies and nations is crucial for the success of the operation. They need to factor in ever-changing weather conditions, currents, and sea states that expand the search area every hour. That sounds incredibly challenging. I can't even imagine the stress and pressure that the rescue teams must be under. But on the bright side, it's amazing how technology has advanced to help in these situations. Right? Definitely, Mark. Technology has come a long way in helping locate missing vessels. In this particular case, undersea noises were detected, which prompted the relocation of remotely operated vehicle operations to explore the origin of the noises. While we still don't know what these noises are, it's a promising lead in the search for the missing submersible. It's fascinating and also a bit eerie. It reminds me of historic maritime disasters and their subsequent rescue attempts. Can you think of any notable examples, Linda? Certainly, Mark. One of the most famous maritime disasters is, of course, the sinking of the Titanic itself. In that case, the rescue mission was hindered by the lack of communication technology and the vast distances involved. Another example is the Kursk submarine disaster in 2000, where the Russian nuclear submarines sank in the Barents Sea. Despite international offers of assistance, the Russian government initially refused help, leading to delays in the rescue mission and ultimately the loss of all crew members. Wow, those are some tragic examples. It's a stark reminder of the importance of international cooperation and the constant advancements in technology to help prevent and respond to such disasters. Let's hope that the ongoing search for the missing submersible has a positive outcome. Absolutely, Mark. Our thoughts are with the families of the missing individuals and the rescue teams working tirelessly to locate the vessel. Let's hope for the best. Story number five. The Guardian reports that the U.S. Federal Trade Commission has filed a lawsuit against Amazon for enrolling consumers without consent into its paid subscription program, Amazon Prime, and making it difficult for them to cancel. 
The FTC alleges that Amazon used manipulative and deceptive user interface designs to trick consumers into enrolling in Prime through a secret project called Iliad. The lawsuit marks the first time the agency has brought Amazon to court since its new chair, Lena Khan, took the helm in 2021. Amazon has faced heightened regulatory scrutiny in recent years as it moved to expand its e-commerce dominance and dip its toes into other markets, including groceries and healthcare. Might not be the first time we've heard about this, but it's still shocking to see how companies like Amazon use these dark patterns to manipulate users into signing up for services like Prime. It's like they're preying on people's trust, you know? Absolutely, Mark. The ethical implications of these tactics are deeply concerning. When businesses use deceptive designs to trick consumers, it erodes trust in the entire online shopping ecosystem. People need to feel secure in their transactions, and this type of manipulation goes against that principle. Right. And it's not just about the money they're making from these subscriptions. The fact that they're allegedly making it difficult for users to cancel their memberships is just as bad. It's like they're trapping people and taking advantage of their confusion. Indeed, Mark. It's crucial for regulatory authorities like the FTC to step in and protect consumer interests in situations like this. Companies that engage in such unethical practices should be held accountable for their actions, and consumers should have the right to easily cancel services they didn't knowingly sign up for. Yeah, and this whole situation reminds me of the past when companies use similar tactics in other industries like hidden fees in banking or confusing contracts in the telecom sector. It's a shame that even in the digital age, we're still seeing these kinds of deceptive practices. That's a great point, Mark. It's important for us as a society to learn from these historical cases and work towards creating a more transparent and fair marketplace. Consumers deserve better, and we must hold businesses accountable for their actions, especially when they have such a significant influence on our lives. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.